This is the Fixer Upper Marriage Podcast, because marriage without maintenance will break. I am your happily married host, Jason Parham. Join the Fixer Upper Marriage class via live recording as we learn how to make marriage and love better. Should you leave your spouse? Find out now. To follow along with today's notes, visit fixeruppermarriage.org slash leave. Today we're going to learn some Bible principles about divorce and separation. As a note, if you've been affected by this, I don't know anything about your situation, don't take offense to it. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, and that's kind of, the, kind of it. And I'm not trying to offend anybody or be controversial or anything of that nature. You make, this, you make decisions that you make. I would recommend that you seek godly counsel before you make any kind of decision that you would make, especially something is the question that we're answering today. Should you leave your spouse? Well, you should probably seek godly counsel. And the godly counsel is not the magazines in the checkout line with the big headlines, right? That's not godly counsel. The radio station probably does not have godly counsel. I mean, they're probably saying stuff just to get you to listen. The dear Abby lady, if she's still around, that used to write to in the newspaper, that's not godly counsel. That's like a pastor or a spiritual leader. I would highly advise you to seek godly counsel before you make any kind of decision about your marriage. If your life has been touched by this, it's not my intention to hurt you in any way, whatever. God deals with you where you're at right now. He doesn't hold our past against us. Thank the Lord he does it, right? We'd all be in a mess. But he kind of deals with us where we're at. So it's not my intention to drag up old things if something's in your past. It's not my intention at all. But however, it is an important issue that needs to be dealt with. We'll give you a table of contents before we get started. Number one, what does God think about divorce? We're going to look at what does God think about divorce. Number two, God's principles for separation. And number three, the value in staying together. Number one, what does God think about divorce? This is where things get really, really controversial, right? You know, everybody has an opinion these days. But what about God, who's the one who invented marriage, right? Maybe we should ask him, since he's the one that got a great idea to put a man and a woman together. Maybe we should ask him what he thinks. And in Genesis chapter 2, in verse number 24, we find that God created marriage. This is when he put Adam and Eve together and he invented this idea. He invented the covenant of marriage. And in verse number 24 of Genesis chapter 2, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So in this passage, this passage of scripture, in this verse, God invented the idea of marriage. And that is a man and a woman, that is a man and a woman coming together in the bond of matrimony, and they make this covenant with one another, and they enter into the covenant of marriage. In the marriage ceremony, vow is made between husband and wife. The vow is to put two people together in this covenant. It's not just something that's legally binding by the state. I remember when I got married, my wife, we had to go to the county office and we got a marriage license. I remember there was a big, I think it was part of a ceremony, wasn't it? I think my brother signed our marriage license as a witness or something of that nature. But it's not just a legal thing that you do to be married, although we do that, right, for the legal purposes of the government, the local government and the federal government. When you file your taxes or whatever, you check the little box. But it's what being married is all about. 
being married as a Christian is you enter into a covenant relationship with one another. It's like God said, these two shall be one flesh. So it's a spiritual thing that occurs in the marriage covenant. And we all come together as family and friends to celebrate the union. I mean, when I was married, my wife invited a lot of people. They, she's a very popular person. I mean, everybody knows who she is. I mean, I had like a handful of people. I mean, maybe a couple of pews show up for me. It's, you know how they do that sometimes where you set, you know, the brides on this side and the, the grooms on this side. Well, I mean, my side was like just a tiny little, you know, my brother, my sister, my friend, that my other friend, and it's kind of like the end of it, that's it, and there's all this room left on the pew. I mean, that place was full of people that knew her, but we invite our friends and our family to come and take part in that because it's an event that we're occurring. This is something that we're doing. We're making this covenant for God. It's not just checking a box on your tax return. We're entering into a covenant. It's a serious thing that we're entering into it, and you know, for legal purposes, we get the wedding license, and recognized by the government as in a marital status. But you know who makes marriage, who makes you one? It's not the government doesn't do it. It's not the preacher that does it. It's God that does it. So when you, you make that covenant to one another and God in that moment, when you say those vows to one another, you enter into the marriage covenant with each other. It's an important concept to understand in the modern debate. You know, as bad as some people want it, The government can't change God's mind about it. We're in this day we're living and it's men with men. A man wanting to marry a man or a woman wanting to marry a woman. But the government may recognize it and they may be able to check that box on their tax return. But God's not going to recognize it. God invented marriage and it was a man and a woman. These two became one flesh. It doesn't matter how bad people want to change that. They're not going to change it. You know, they'll probably try to change it in a new version of the Bible, right? Try to change all this stuff, all this gender-related things. If they haven't already, they can't change what God made. God made it that way. And this this covenant that God God has made, it's a formula that God has designed for marriage. And you're going to find out that this is going to be important as we go through today's lesson. What does God think about divorce? I'll tell you what he thinks about it. He's really straightforward. God is really straightforward. God hates divorce. Turn with me to Malachi chapter 2 and verse number 14. Yet ye say, wherefore, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet she is thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. And did not he make one, yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and whereof one? that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, in verse 16, saith that he hateth putting away. You know what putting away is? That's divorce. God hates divorce. For one covers violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. So God feels so strongly about the matter that he uses the word hate. That is a strong word. God says that he hates divorce. It's because divorce destroys the beautiful picture that he painted in the marriage covenant. Marriage is a symbol and a type, and we've talked about this so, so many times, is a type of the relationship between Christ and the church. If you want to read more about that later, that's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 through 32. I refer to it all the time. 
But God painted this picture with the marriage covenant of Christ and his relationship to the church. And it's a beautiful picture that he painted. And God hates divorce because it absolutely destroys the picture of that. To think that God would divorce you or to think that Jesus would divorce the church or the church would be angry with Jesus and divorce Jesus. No, that's not the way. It's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not the way God intended marriage to be. And so God says, I hate divorce. He's, I hate it. He puts these strong words there. And as a Christian, your marriage represents the gospel message to the world. When you break that covenant, you send the, a bad message to the world. To be honest, to be perfectly honest with you, I hate divorce too. I absolutely hate it. I'm going to see what it does to people and relationships. I think about how it impacts people for their whole life. My wife, her family was a product. She was a product of a divorced family. And she talks about that all the time, how hard that was as a child to go through that, to be passed back and forth, to have two different sets of parents and everything that goes with that. If you're having problems in your marriage, seek Christian counseling. Work with each other to fix the problems. Don't just throw your marriage away because you're having problems. Now, I think some, sometimes people are just so concerned with being happy. They're more concerned with being happy instead of being holy. And because of that, when your marriage isn't making you happy, it's just like, I'm just going to do away with it. I'm going to get this out of my life because it's not making me happy. And when we say the wedding vows, what do we say? We say for better or for worse. And sometimes in the marriage covenant, things are worse. You can ask my wife. She lives with me every day. She sometimes experienced the worst of me. You know what? In the worst times of your marriage, in the worst times of what you're going through, that's when your love is really made strong. We'll talk about that more in just a few minutes. Then it just takes you dying to you and becoming more like Jesus. We shouldn't be so concerned with being happy. We should be concerned as a Christian with being holy. We're not like the world. We're in the world. We're not of the world. We're not like everybody else. We should be concerned with being holy and not happy. I'll tell you what, as a Christian, I've experienced his grace, his mercy and forgiveness so many times that it's just unbelievable. I've I've messed up and made things right and he's always been there for me. That's the way the marriage covenant should be. Yeah, we messed up. I messed up. I made a mistake. I did something wrong. But in the marriage covenant, there should be grace and forgiveness in that love. We should be able to make things right with one another. You know, it may be not what you want to hear today. It may be not what the world's culture is pushing on you. There is joy in marriage and finding forgiveness and healing with one another. You have this incredible opportunity to forgive and to love your spouse. Jesus was and is against divorce. Jesus taught the perils of divorce during his earthly ministry. So much so that in Matthew chapter 19, if you want to turn there, we'll read it. In Matthew chapter 19, in verse number three, the Pharisees confronted him about his teaching. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? They were trying to trip him up. They knew what Jesus had been saying. They knew what he had been preaching. So this is what they say. Is it lawful for a man to put his his wife for any cause? And he answered instead of them, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother 
and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Remember, we read that already this morning in Genesis chapter 2. God in the marriage covenant makes two one, and so they two become one flesh. That's the way that God intended it to be. In verse number 7, And they say unto him, Why did Moses in command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? And he saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. So we see here Jesus, the Pharisees were trying to trick him. They were trying to get Jesus, they were trying to show the contradiction of what he was saying in, in Moses' law. They said, Jesus, we know that you're teaching that divorce is wrong. We know that you're teaching that you that marry couples is for life. We know that you're saying that two shall be one flesh. But what about what Moses said in the law? And Jesus said, yes, that was said in the law. But Moses put that there because of the hardness of your heart. But from the beginning, it was not so. So why did the law offer right and divorcement if it's wrong? But they're referring to Deuteronomy chapter 24, if you want to turn there. Deuteronomy 24 and verse number 1. I mean, they were trying to think about the ambiguity that they could see in this law and all the little loopholes that people found for a reason to get divorced under the law. And so they turned to Deuteronomy chapter 24 and they read this text and they were trying to trick Jesus. But this is, this is what Moses put in the law. Listen to this. When a man hath taken a wife, this is Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 1, and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he has found some uncleanness in her. Then let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and send her out of his house. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. And if the later husband hate her and write her a bill of divorcement and giveth it into her hand and sendeth her out of his house, or if a later husband die, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after that she is defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. And thou shalt not cause a land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. God did not intend for there to be divorce. When God created Adam and Eve and he made man his own image and he made them one flesh, he did not ever intend for them to be separated. He did not intend for a divorce to occur. But Jesus said, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses gave you the writing of divorcement. Because it was happening, because of sin, because of the hardness of the people's hearts in Israel in that day, Moses had to give them rules for divorce. They were doing it, so he had to make rules for it. Because of the hardness of your heart, that's what Jesus said. So this, this, even the law today, that's the way it is. I mean, there has to be rules for divorce. Moses, because it wasn't intended from the beginning, Jesus said it wasn't, it wasn't that way. But because of sin, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses had to give you those laws about divorce. Now, there is an exception that's mentioned by the Lord, and it is a very controversial thing. Jesus said, except it be for fornication in Matthew chapter 19 in verse 9. Except it be for fornication. And people have just took that and run with it. Some people say any, fornication is a broad word. So some people say, well, any sexual sin. Jesus said, except it be. It's an exception. It's not something common. It's an exception. It's an extreme case. Except it be for the cause of fornication. It would have to be some gross sexual sins without hope for remorse, for remorse or repentance. 
It have, and that word is so broad that it means it even means incest. So it have to be something extreme. And for Jesus to call it an exception. He said it's accept it be for the cause of fornication. So it's not just any little thing you wanted to make it to be, right? The Bible also gives other clear instructions about divorce in the book of First Corinthians. You can turn there if you like. First Corinthians chapter seven and verse number 10. And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And let not the husband put away his wife. But to the rest I speak, not to the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. So we find some more instructions about divorce in the Bible. And here's something that maybe I think a lot of people don't want to recognize. I want to point this out here. Notice the words of Scripture. But and if she depart, let her remain unmarried. So there's a lot of people that want to take that verse that I read in Matthew and they want to say, well, it's for all these different things. And it's such a broad term and it's just anything you kind of want to make it out to be. OK, let's let's go with that for just for the sake of what we're looking at in the Bible. What's the Bible say? If she depart, let her remain unmarried. So if there's justification for divorce in the Bible, now I'm not talking about legal whatever. I'm talking about moral from from doing the right thing. OK, if there's justification for divorce there. There's no justification to be married again. I'm just saying that's what God said. And that's what Paul said. It's not I that speak, but the Lord so the Bible is teaching here, there's not really, if there is grounds for divorce, there's no grounds for remarriage. Also, God recognizes the problems that having an unbelieving spouse can cause. And if you'd like to read more about that, you can in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 12 through verse number 16. The Bible goes into a little more detail about the spouse with an un, unbelieving partner. It does recognize the challenges that are involved with that. The laws of the government make rules for divorce. And I've kind of alluded to this. But just like Moses had to address in Israel the divorces that were going on and people, the putting away of your spouse, the government has rules about this. It's the way things are with government and laws of society. I can only speak of spiritual things. It's what I've been trying to, I'm trying to emphasize today. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know the ins and outs of the legal system, but I do know what the Bible says. And this is what the Bible says about divorce, that God hates divorce. And these are the principles that are involved with that. There may be other things involved in a legal aspect, such as custody of children, such as protection from law enforcement that I would highly recommend if that's a situation that you're in to get law enforcement involved with that. But for those types of things, you would need to consult a lawyer. But number two, God's principles. Let's look at God's principles for separation. God's principles for separation. There may be extreme cases where it becomes necessary to separate from your spouse. Examples of this would be like physical abuse or if the children in the home are being sexually abused. I mean, especially in cases where you feel you feel like you're in danger. But I think we'd all say that's something that needs to be done. Separation needs to occur. And obviously, God has principles in the Bible that are blatantly against such kind of treatment of your family. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 28, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. 
He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man yet ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherishes it, even as the Lord the church. So the Bible, the type of love that a husband should have for his wife is that he would treat her as his own flesh. So if a husband were to lose his temper and a husband were to become abusive to his wife, that would be against the principles of the Bible, right? That husband is not doing what's right. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 4, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. So it's wrong for a father to abuse his children. It's wrong for a father to hurt his children. It's wrong. I don't care how many independent Baptists say it's okay. I don't care how many people say it's okay to do it. No, it's not okay to hurt your children. And if your you're, if wife is in danger or she feels threatened or if the children are threatened or if the children could be hurt in some way, then that's a sign that separation should occur. These verses and many others make the principle clear. And in, in fact, in cases of abuse, I say report it to law enforcement. You know, there's nothing spiritual in not calling the police. If a crime has been committed, if someone is hurting you, if someone's abusing you, call the police. That's you don't call your pastor. You don't call the deacons in the church. You don't call 1-800-JERRY-FALLWELL or you don't call whatever. No, you call the police and you get the police involved when abuse occurs. And it seems funny when I say it, but people are this way. You call the police. You call the police when abuses occur. You call the police when something illegal has occurred. But some people separate because of disagreements. And I don't know the ins and outs of psychology and all that. Now, if you are arguing, I suggest that you seek godly counsel instead of giving up on, on your marriage and giving up on each other. That would be my suggestion to seek godly counsel from your pastor to get those things reconciled. But if you're going to separate for a time for reconciliation, then you should act like you're still married. I mean, I've met people like this. My husband and I are having problems or my wife and I are having problems. So we're going to be separated for a little while. We're going to have to separate. And then on Facebook, they change their status. No, you don't do that. You're still married, you knucklehead. No, you're just separated to try to get things right. People are just people. But people do things like that. Change your status on Facebook or the worst thing. It's the latest thing today to do is to get on social media and to do. It used to be the selfie pictures, right? Now it's selfie videos. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Everybody's got their phone up like this making videos. Even preachers do it all the time. These selfie videos. This is me talking. You know what people do? They, they take selfie videos and tell about their personal business. Oh, pray for me. I'm having a hard time. My husband and I are separated. That's not what you do. No, you act like you're still married. If you're still married, you act like you're still married. In fact, in South Carolina, I looked it up just to be sure. But before you can get a no-fault divorce in South Carolina, you have to be separated for one year. So if you're separated because you're having problems, you don't act like you're not married. That's not the way to resolve the problems in your marriage. The Bible, there's Bible principles for separation. And we can find those principles in the separation in church discipline. Turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, and I would highly recommend, as I have stated several times, if you're having problems in your marriage, I would highly recommend that you seek godly counsel, preferably from a spiritually minded person, like a pastor or a Christian counselor. But in Matthew chapter 18, in verse number 15, 
Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take heed, take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. And if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. So we find that God has laid out this, these principles for church discipline. These are like pre-instructions for the church. There was no church, but Christ gave pre-instructions for when there was a church. Does that make sense? God gave the church the method for reconciling its members who have gone astray. Here's the way it works. The Bible says you confront the person alone. A member that's gone astray, you confront him alone. Then you confront him with one or two witnesses. So he didn't hear you. He didn't make things right. Now you bring somebody with you. Okay, then you tell it to the church. And if you won't hear the church, then the church treats him as a, you treat him as a heathen man and a publican. Treat him as, so that means you treat him like another lost person, a person that's not in the church. Or you start to treat that person like a publican means tax collector. And tax collectors that day were somebody you definitely want to avoid. So you avoid that person. In that avoiding, it's not that you're trying to punish that person, but you're trying to see that person needs to see how bad what they did was. So they see the error in their ways and they see, hey, I've lost my friends. I've lost my friends at church because of what I've done. And therefore, it should prompt that person, hopefully, to seek reconciliation. He gave the church these instructions. And this is the reasoning behind separating is to seek reconciliation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was this awful case in the church at Corinth of fornication that occurred. A man had committed fornication with his stepmom. It was an awful situation. And they went through these steps that Jesus gave. And at the end, he didn't hear anybody. And so he was treated this way. He was excommunicated by the church lost his fellowship with the church. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 7, he comes back. He saw the errors of his way and he came back. And Paul was writing again. This is the second book of Corinthians. He's writing to them again and saying, accept him back in. He's willing to repent. Show him Christian love. Let him back in. So we see how church discipline works. It's not the way it's used today. And I'm not being bad on anybody I'm saying that's the way the Bible says. That's the best way. So I don't put anything extra in there. It's just the way the Bible says. So it's done in the hopes that that person will get the situation right and be restored in fellowship with the church. Well, that same principle, that same principle applies for separation in marriage. This is what we learn from that. First of all, separation should be the last step. So we saw... At the church, when the principle that God gave the church was, these are the steps you follow. And the last thing, if they won't hear the church, now you need to separate. So that's the same principle that should carry over to marriage. So this separ- if you're going to be separated, it should be the last thing that you do, not the first thing you do. It shouldn't be the first thing you do. shouldn't be to separate from your spouse just because you're having problems. Second of all, It should only be done in extreme cases. It wasn't something common. And it should be done in a way that the person that you're separating from realizes how serious it is. 
your husband's not listening to you, your husband's hurting you or your husband's being abusive or threatening you. And so when you say it's we're separating, that makes them realize, hey, my spouse needs business. I could lose my home. I could lose my marriage. So it's done in an attempt, a last ditch effort to make things right with your spouse, for your spouse to see the error of their ways. They see how serious it is. Hey, wait a second. I could lose what I have here. And so it should be done in a way to encourage your spouse. It should be done in a way to seek reconciliation with your spouse. Reconcil- it should be done with reconciliation in mind. And you should be, by the way, ready and willing to forgive your spouse, willing to take them back. The purpose, number two, the purpose was for restoration. And thirdly, you should be willing to forgive and restore your spouse when, when separation occurs. So that's the Bible, the Bible principles for separation. There may be other things involved with that, but I'm just giving you the Bible principles that are plainly mentioned in the scriptures. Number three, the value in staying together. The value in staying together. We saw what does God think about marriage? We saw God's principles for separation. And thirdly, the value in staying together. There is a reward in working through your problems together every day and just staying committed to one another. After all, you know, I said it for better or for worse, right? You say it in your wedding vows. And it's through those tough times that your marriage is really made strong. If you can handle the tough times, if you can make it through those tough times, then God will use those tough times to strengthen your love. For example, the way they harden steel is they take that steel. I'm talking about steel for tools. This would be very hard steel to use for tools. So they take that steel and they put it under extreme heat. And then after that extreme heat, they quench it in oil. And they have this process of hardening steel. It can be that way in your marriage. When you go through extreme heat, God is trying to harden and strengthen your love. He's sending you through a process as a Christian to make your love stronger. That's the intention. When things are wrong in our marriage, when we're having trouble getting along, or things are not right, or we have a hardship in our marriage, or maybe a grief or a tragedy in our marriage, that is God's attempt to strengthen your love through that fire that he's sending you through, through that hot heat that he's sending you through. He's trying to, to harden and temper your love and make it more useful and lasting. In summary, should you leave your spouse? No, you shouldn't you should leave your spouse. But should you leave your spouse was the title. Number one, what does God think about divorce? We saw that. Number two, God's principles for separation. And we also saw the value in staying together. Thank you for listening to the Fixer Upper Marriage podcast. If this podcast episode was helpful to you, consider sharing it with a friend. Just as a notice, the Fixer Upper Marriage class may not be in session for the next several weeks. Be patient and check the podcast feed. We'll be back soon. Remember that God has great things planned for your marriage, so don't miss it.